Today, I will be reading from Scythe by Neil Schusterman. It's a Princey Award winner, and it is the first book in the Ark of the Scythe series. Part 1. Robe and Ring We must, by law, keep a record of the innocents we kill, and as I see it, they're all innocents. Even the guilty. Everyone is guilty of something, and everyone still harbors a memory of childhood innocence, no matter how many layers of life wrap around it. Humanity is innocent. Humanity is guilty. And both states are undeniably true. We must, by law, keep a record. It begins on day one of apprenticeship, but we do not officially call it killing. It's not socially or morally correct to call it such. It is and has always been gleaning, named for the way the poor would trail behind farmers in ancient times, taking the stray stalks of grain left behind. It is the earliest form of charity. A scythe's work is the same. Every child is told from the day he or she is old enough to understand that the scythes provide a crucial service for society. Ours is the closest thing to the sacred mission of the modern, the modern world knows. Perhaps that is why we must, by law, keep a record, a public journal, testifying to those who will never die and those who are yet to be born, as to why we human beings do the things we do. We are instructed to write down not just our deeds, but our feelings, because it must be known that we do have feelings remorse, regret, sorrow, to great to bear, because if we didn't feel those things, what monsters would we be? From the Gleaning Journal of H.S. Curie. Chapter 1. No Dimming of the Sun. The scythe arrived late on the cold November afternoon. Citra was at the dining room table, slaving over a particular difficult algebra problem, shuffling variables, unable to solve for X or Y, when this new and far more pernicious variable entered her life. Guests were frequent at the Terranova's apartment, so when the doorbell rang, there was no sense of foreboding, no dimming of the sun, no foreshadowing of the arrival of death at their door. Perhaps the universe should have designed to provide such warnings, but scythes were no more supernatural than tax collectors in the grand scheme of things. They showed up, did their unpleasant business, and were gone. My mother answered the door. Citra didn't see the visitor as he was at first hidden from her view by the door when it opened. What she saw was how her mother stood there suddenly immobile, as if her veins had solidified within her, as if they were tipped over she would fall to the floor and shatter. May I enter, Mrs. Terranova? The visitor's tone of voice gave him away. Resonant and in inevitable, like the dull toll of the iron bell, confident in the ability to appeal to reach all those who needed reaching, Citra knew before she even saw him that it was a scythe. My God, a scythe has come to our home. Yes, yes, of course, come in, Citra's mother stepped aside to allow him entry, as if she were the visitor and not the other way around. 
He stepped over the threshold, his soft slip like shoes making no sound on the parquet floor. His multi-layered robe was smooth ivory linen, and although it reached so long, flowed as to dust the floor, there was not a spot of dirt on it anywhere. A scythe, Saitra knew, could choose the color of his or her robe, every color except for black, for it was considered inappropriate for their job. Black was an absence of light, and scythes were the opposite. Luminous and enlightened, they had were acknowledged as the very best of humanity, which is why they were chosen for the job. Some, some scythe's robes were bright, some were more muted. They looked like the rich, flowing robes of Renaissance angels, both heavy yet lighter than air. The unique style of scythe's robes, regardless of fabric and color, made them easy to spot in the public, which made them easy to avoid, if avoidance was what a person wanted, just as many were drawn to them. The color of the robes often said a lot about the scythe's personality. This scythe's ivory robe, robe was pleasant and far enough from true white not to assault the eye with its brightness, but none of this changed the fact of who and what he was. He pulled off his hood to reveal neatly cut hair, gray hair, a mournful face red-cheeked with the chilly day and dark eyes that seemed themselves almost to be weapons. Citra stood, not out of respect, but out of fear. Shock, she tried to not to hyperventilate. She tried not to let her knees buckle beneath her. She, they were betraying her by wobbling. So she forced fortitude to her legs, tightening her muscles. Whatever the size person purpose here, he would not see her crumble. You may close the door, he said to Citra's mother, who did so, although Citra could see how difficult it was for her. A scythe in the foyer could still turn around if the door was open. The moment that door was closed, he was truly, truly inside one's home. He looked around, spotting Citra immediately. He offered a smile. Hello, Citra, he said. The fact that it that he knew her name froze her just as solidly as his appearance had frozen his mother. Don't be rude, her mother said too quickly. Say hello to our guest. Good day, Your Honor. Hi, said the young brother, Ben, who had just come to from his bedroom door, having heard the deep pearl peal of the scythe's voice. Ben was barely able to squeak out the one-word greeting. He looked to Citra and to his mother, thinking the same thing they were all thinking. Who has he come for? Will it be me, or will I be left to suffer the loss? I smelled something inviting in the hallway, the scythe said, breathing in the aroma. Now I see I was right in thinking it came from this apartment. Just fake seedy, Your Honor. Nothing special. Until this moment, Serta had never known her mother to be this timid. That's good, said the scythe, because I require nothing special. Then he sat on the sofa and waited patiently for dinner. Was it too much to believe that the man was here for a meal and nothing more? After all, scythes had to eat somewhere. Customarily, restaurants never charged them for food, but that didn't mean a home-cooked meal was not more desirable. There were rumors of scythes who required their victims to prepare them a meal before being gleaned. Is that what was happening here? 
Whatever his intentions, he kept them to himself, and they had no choice but to give him whatever he wanted. Will he spare a life here today if the food is to his taste? Citra wondered. No surprise that people bent over backward to please Scythes in every possible way. Hope in the shadow of fear is the world's most powerful motivator. Citra's mother brought him something to drink at his request and now labored to make sure tonight's dinner was the finest she had ever served. Cooking was not her speciality. Usually she would return home from work just in time to throw something quick together for them. Tonight their lives might just rest on her questionable culinary skills. And their father? Would he be home in time? Or would a gleaming in his family take place in his absence? As terrified as Citra was, she did not want to leave the scythe alone with his own thoughts. So she went into the living room with him. Ben, who was clearly as fascinated as he was afraid, sat with her. The man finally introduced himself as Honorable Scythe Faraday. I, uh, did a report on Faraday for school once, Ben said, his voice crackling only once. You picked a pretty cool scientist to name yourself after. Scythe Faraday smiled. I'd like to think I chose an appropriate patron historic. Like many scientists, Michael Faraday was unappreciated in his life, yet our world would not be what it is without him. I think I have you in my scythe card collection, Ben went on. I have almost all the mid-America scythes, but you were younger in the picture. The man seemed perhaps 60, and although his hair had gone gray, his goatee was still salt and pepper. It was rare for a person to let themselves reach such an age before resetting back to my more youthful self. Citra wondered how old he truly was, how long he had been charged with ending lives. Do you look your true age, or are you at the far end of time by choice? Citra asked. Citra! Her mother nearly dropped the casserole she had taken out of the oven. What a question to ask! I like direct questions, the scythe said. They show an honesty of spirit, so I will give an honest answer. I admit to having turned the corner four times. My natural age is somewhere near 180, although I forget the exact number. Of late, I've chosen this venerable appearance because I find that those I gleam take more comfort from it. Then he laughed. They think me wise. Is that why you're here? Ben blurted, to gleam one of us? Scythe Faraday offered an unreadable smile. I am here for dinner. Citra's father arrived just as dinner was about to be served. Her mom had apparently informed him of the situation, so he was much more emotionally prepared than the rest of them had been. As soon as he entered, he went straight over to the Scythe Faraday to take his hand and pretend to be far more jovial and inviting than he truly must have been. The meal was awkward, more silence punctuated by the occasional comments by the Scythe. You have a lovely home. What flavorful lemonade. This may be the best baked Zeta in all of Mid-America. Even though everything he said was complimentary, his voice registered like a seismic shock down everyone's spine. I haven't seen you in our neighborhood, Citra's father finally said. I don't suppose you would have, he said. I am not the public figure that some other scythes choose to be. 
Some sites prefer, prefer the spotlight, but to truly do the job right, it requires a level of anonymity. Right. Citra bristled at the very idea. There's a right way to clean? Well, he answered, there are certainly wrong ways, and said nothing more about it. He just ate his ziti. As the meal neared its close, he said, tell me about yourselves. It wasn't a question or a request. It could only be read, read as a demand. Citrus wasn't sure whether this was part of his little dance of death or whether he was genuinely interested. He knew their names before he entered the apartment, so he probably already knew all the things they could tell him. Then why ask? I work in historical research, her father said. I'm a food synthesizer, synthesis engineer, said her mother. The scythe raised his eyebrows. And yet you cook this from scratch? She put down her fork. All from synthesized ingredients? Yes, but if we can synthesize anything, he offered, why do we still need food synthesized en engineers? Citric could practically see the blood drain from his mother's face. If her father, it was her father who rose to defend his wife's existence. There's always room for improvement. Yeah, and Dad's work is important too, Ben said. What, historical research? The scythe waved his fork, dismissing the notion. The past never changes, and from what I can see, neither does the future. While her parents and brother were perplexed and troubled by his comments, Citra understood the point he was making. The growth of civilization was complete. Everyone knew it. When it came to the human race, there was no more left to learn, nothing about our own existence to decipher, which meant that no one person was more important than any other. In fact, in the grand scheme of things, everyone was equally useless. That's what he was saying, and it infuriated Citra, because on a certain level, she knew he was right. Citra was well known for her temper. It often and arrived before reason, before reason and left only after the damage was done. Tonight would be no exception. Why are you doing this? If you're here to glean one of us, just get it over and stop torturing us. Her mother gasped, and her father pushed back his chair as if ready to get up and physically remove her from the room. Citra, what are you doing? Now her mother's voice was quivering. Show respect. No. He's here, he's going to do it, so let him do it. It's not like he hasn't decided. I've heard that scythes always make up their mind before they enter a home. Isn't that right? The scythe was unperturbed by her outburst. Some do, some don't, he said gently. We each have our own way of doing things. By now, Ben was crying. Dad put his arm around him, but the boy was inconsolable. Yes, scythes must glean. Faraday said, but we also must eat and sleep and have simple conversations. Citra grabbed her empty plate away from him. Well, the meal's done, so you can leave. Then her father approached him. He fell to his knees. Her father was actually on his knees to this man. Please, Your Honor, forgive her. I take full responsibility for her behavior. The scythe stood. An apology isn't necessary. It's refreshing to be challenged. You have no idea how tedious it gets. The pandering, the, the obvious flattery, the endless parade of psychopaths. 
A slap in the face is bracing. It reminds me that I'm human. Then he went to the kitchen and grabbed the largest, sharpest knife he could find. He swished it back and forth, getting a feel for how it would cut through the air. Ben's wails grew and his father's grip tightened on him. The scythe approached their mother. Citra was ready to hurl herself in front of her to block the blade, but instead of swinging the knife, the man held out the other hand. Kiss my ring. No one is expecting this, least of all Citra. Citra's mother stared at him, shaking her head, not willing to believe. You're, you're granting me immunity? For your kindness in the million you served, I grant you one year immunity from gleaming. No scythe may touch you. But she hesitated. Grant it to my children instead. Still, the scythe held out his ring to her. It was a diamond the size of his knuckle with a dark core. It was the same ring all scythes wore. I'm offering it to you, not them. But Jenny, just do it, insisted their father.